But it's just airplanes, so it's not, it's it's, not really no this is This is the best seat now. It's, it's got a runway in the front yard. How <laughs> <laughs> silver. Did you guys see this airplane? This is like really bizarre. This is a, uh, I don't know where I can, oh, I know, it was in the forums. Uh, somebody in the forums posted a picture. Uh, let's see now. Uh, Bruce H. in the forums posted a picture of a, a Cessna 337, a Skymaster, that he came across tied down in an airport that appeared not to have been flown very recently. And it's got, on both wings, it has a pair of sort of half-circle cutouts on the trailing edge, and nestled into these cutouts are... on on each wing, two small motors with propellers on top of them. And, you know, you just got to figure somebody was trying to come up with some clever way of, I don't know what, reducing drag, you know. I think they were trying to come up with a way primarily to uh, give it ridiculously slow flight. Slow flight? Okay, I was thinking short takeoff and landing, but I guess that's sort of the same thing. Yeah. Uh, Well, they can can complement one another. Yeah. Uh, But... uh, uh, slow flight, being able to uh, to hang in the air at a high angle of well, attack you know, and a low this, forward in, speed. It's a shame, you know, in this day and age, we don't have some <laughs> tool that we can use to determine who owns this aircraft and maybe from that derive some some well, meaning. And I actually, this. go ahead, okay. you tell us what you discovered. I did this <laughs> so, back when I so first. So the FAA registration pops yeah, okay, up go something ahead. called Turbo Wing International in La Jolla, California. Yeah. Now, gee, Wonder why they called their company Turbo Wing. Yeah. Okay. And, and of course, the, the, we have a um, uh, the, the the poster here did the same thing. Yeah. Um, so uh, Turbo but it's, Wing. It's 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 actually kind of cool. Um, I can't tell from the photo. I guess it. I guess there looks like there's two on each wing. That's what it yeah. looks like to me. Yeah. And they're, they're relatively small engines. I mean, they're like hardly even lawnmower. Are they even? Yeah, those are like chainsaw engines. Chainsaw well, they, engines. They're stroke. big chainsaw um, engines. They're big two-strokes. Yeah, those, those are definitely two-stroke engines. Uh-huh. Yeah. So what do you think this? So, uh-huh. so uh, you still there, Jeb? Jeb? I, I could still hear him. Yeah, hang well, on. I could hear him, but I don't think he hears us. Yeah, I can't. Hello? Well, that sucks. Yeah, I lost the internet. Just quam, and it's still lost. I was just trying to text you. Mm-hmm. So we could just continue like this. If if you get an indication that your internet is back at some point, we'll. Uh... Okay, so we're back. We're back. Uh, so what were we talking? And I'd about? like to thank the act for showing up tonight. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know, right? Yeah. So, so what the... I was saying is, is those are definitely two-stroke engines. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, um, they look fairly substantial displacement-wise, looking at the size of the cooling vents on the head uh, compared to the size of the spark plug. Uh, and it, and then they ought to got a, a, a great big reduction drive, two, two belts, uh-huh. Uh-huh. and humongous wood paddle propellers. Yeah, and so they're, I mean, I guess it's obvious that they're 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 blowing air downward, right? I would expect them to be acting like a helicopter. Yeah, right. right. So they're providing lift on the trailing edge of the wing. Right. Probably also helping the airflow over the wing at high angles of attack. I don't know. You think so? I just I wonder how this works exactly. I don't exactly. know. I don't know. It depends. Um, well, you, you're going to have separated airflow there, and, and I don't know where it's going to separate on that wing. And, and you know, it depends on the the angle of attack. Obviously, looking at that picture, there seems to be a <clears throat> a rivet seam uh, on the right on the Skymaster's right wing uh, that may or may not be factory. Okay, um, that and, and if it's if it is factory, that's roughly around the spot where they think flow separation is going to occur. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and it looks like they modified the area where flap used to be. That's the yeah. other thing, right? There's no flaps. That's, that's right. That's right. There's yeah, no they flaps. modified the area where flap used to be to create those sculpted cutouts. Yeah. Uh, and then they mounted in the structure uh, up there near the, where the spar and a rib intersect uh-huh. for the uh, pylon that holds the engine. Mm-hmm. Uh, the bending moment on it's going to be interesting at yeah. any angle of attack. If it's getting uh-huh. any thrust at all. 
uh, that's a, a hell of a lot of engineering and metal work went into making that puppy look like that. Yeah. I'm just intrigued as hell whether it ever flew. I know, really. So I can picture that. Maybe that's why it's been tied down. Yeah, I know, right. Um, so the air flows over the top of the wing. It gets grabbed up by these propellers and and blown downward. So one might imagine that this would uh, increase the the possible angle of attack, maybe, so that the the air doesn't separate away from the wing as quickly. You know. As, yeah, that's not the only thing going on there. There's a lot of different ways to keep the air from separating. Right. Yeah. Um, that are that don't involve four two-stroke engines. Yeah, exactly. And, and yeah. Props. Um, so that's not the only thing that's trying to be achieved here. Mm-hmm. Um, they may be going for some kind of really super super short takeoff landing thing. They may be going for. Um, I don't think they're going to get uh, you know hover mode out of this. Oof, no. Um, but. They could certainly be getting, you know, some very, very slow flight. Uh, what, the other thing I want to know is what does all this do to the weight and balance of this airplane? <laughs> and, and, and what happens to the way this thing handles in pitch well, when all four of these two strokes are weighing in a way? Yeah, the pitch thing is a, is a real question. Um, given that this is a, a push-me-pull-you, this is a Skymaster, it could be that they're at the center of gravity. Um, I, I don't know where exactly where the CG is. I don't is. know where the Skymaster CG is either. Um, but you got to imagine that it's further back than you would normally find it. On well, a- no, you got to think it's further. <clears throat> well, the, the factory CG is going to be uh, somewhere, um, you know, along the. Um, the, the you're, you're right. The, uh, the, the thick, wing, yeah. thick part of the wing. Yeah, right near okay. the spar-ish area. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's that's where the CG is, is is going to be in that range in that area. This is all fairly well aft. Yeah. Uh, but you know, there's always all, all kinds of ways to skin that cat if it if it got too rearward. Um, but all this is this is obviously pure research too. Yeah, there it is. I'd love to know what it did for for uh, um, top crews. I'd love to know where they they did all that work and the FAA inspector came in and looked at it. And looked at the engineering drawings, and looked at it, and looked at the engineering drawings, and looked at it, and looked at the engineering drawings. And after he stopped shaking his head, turned around and walked out the door, and said, "No, nah, I'm not signing that." Well, if you look at the the picture, the top picture here, there's something written on the door below the stripe, okay, on the Skymaster's right fuselage. And I can't, I'm not going to blow it up. I'm not going to bother. But I'm pretty doggone certain it says experimental oh yeah i would expect that yeah yeah uh for one thing uh looking through jane's and a couple of other online resources i can't find anything like that that ever came out for the cessna type certificate uh, so. yeah yeah simple simple google search for turbo wing international produces a bunch of companies with that name one of them in fact from la jolla california yeah but, they did uh, one hundred and eighty thousand dollars in sales last year yeah but uh none of them seemed at, at, with a quick glance none of them seemed to be touting this particular uh uh, package, if you will. So that's interesting. It is. It, it is that. Yeah. Either of you guys ever fly one of these airplanes, the regular version? I've not flown one as pick. I have flown in them before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 To me, this me airplane too. is famous from uh, uh, the movie. What was it? Bat Twenty One. Oh well, yeah. Yeah, Bat Twenty One, and there was a uh, a made-for-TV horror film. Really? Yeah. Um, Night Stalker. Not one Night Stalker. It was something. I like that, but it one of the. Um, and if you go to, uh, yeah, let's see. Yeah. Um, there's a. Uh, anyway, it, there was a, an all black Skymaster. Ah uh, yes, okay. In in that movie, and sounds and, very Airwolf to me, but I don't maybe not. Yeah, it was. Yeah, the guy's list. flying around the country trying to catch a serial killer or something, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Like that. All right, we'll have to figure that and one the, out. The, 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 one of the last 
shots in the movie was the instrument panel of the Skymaster all covered in blood. <laughs> oh, I see. Okay. <laughs> Always a good sign. Always yeah. a good sign. But getting back hey, well, to... Well, it's Halloween. I yeah. mean, you know. Well, that's true. So getting back to the uh, to the modified one with the weird engines on the trailing edge, the, 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 let's just kind of close this off with the only, the only judgment that really matters, and that is, David, would you fly this airplane? Uh, yeah, right after seeing a demo. Mm-hmm. I I knew that was going to be your answer. So, oh well. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah well, I'm, I'm not like answer. Mikey, man. I'm not eating the life cereal unless I see somebody eat the life cereal first. Okay. <laughs> the members of the Uncontrolled Airspace podcast are participating as private individuals. Their comments do not necessarily reflect the views of the various organizations they work with. Also, anything you hear on this podcast that sounds like advice on aircraft operation is obviously very general. You should always consider your own situation, remember your training, and fly the airplane. But you knew that. We'd like to welcome a very special visitor to the uncontrolled uh, airspace hangar right now. Uh, Until a few days ago, Jack Pelton was perhaps best known as the retired chairman, president, and CEO of Cessna Aircraft. But on Monday, Jack took on a whole new role in the aviation world when he was elected to be the new chairman of the board of EAA. And he joins us now in our virtual hangar. Welcome, Jack, and thank you for taking some time to talk with us. You bet. Good to, good to talk to you guys. Yeah. So, in addition to you becoming chairman, there was another pretty big change at EAA earlier this week. Can you tell us what that was? Well, yeah. The uh, um, board, uh, at the time we went through a, a chairman selection process, and it happened to also coincide with the uh, departure of Rod Hightower as the president and CEO of, of EAA. And... Uh, because of all those events happening at the, you know, essentially almost simultaneously, um, and the fact that I am retired, um, I am interimly watching EAA as as uh, the guy on the ground to lead the organization through the transition period, however long that may take. And we haven't even begun to work on a timeline of what that transition will be, but we wanted to make sure there was some leadership and stability here at in Oshkosh for the great employees that uh, have been serving this organization for so long. Mm-hmm. But but Rod Hightower has left the organization now. That's correct, right? That's correct. Uh, officially on Monday, uh, Rod resigned and and uh, went back to St. Louis, and and uh, we're off on a new new chapter for EA. Yeah. Um, many people seem to think that there was more to this change than just what was announced in the press releases that having to do with Rod's family. Um, do you have any comment about that? Uh, well, the, you know, first the, the chairmanship piece and Rod's departure are two two distinct and separate events. So we, I don't want those to be confused as being being one. Um, the you know Rod, part, you know, part of Rod's agreement with being here at EA. Um, required residency in this area and so that's always been a a sticky spot and sore issue with with many many people and then we you know as any executive as you're evaluating performance over time and some of the the issues that we um, certainly have experienced and and listened to um, it just seemed to be a culmination of events that made sense that it was time to part company Jack, so let's see. In listening to what you said a, a couple of minutes ago, that uh, you're you're on board to help EAA work through the transition, however long that takes. Uh, so, uh, what what exactly uh, starts happening now that you're uh, there as chairman and in head of uh, ahead of a search for a new CEO president type? At, well, we, we haven't. In fact, we haven't started a search. I mean, this is day four of the transition, and so you know, all this has, has happened pretty abruptly. But um, you know, I've, I've led organizations for a long time, and most of our board members are accomplished business people themselves. And what we wanted to do was um, make sure there wasn't a void, and we didn't want to send any mixed signals with a an interim assignment from somebody internally that you know may be construed. Um, that we've we've already made a selection, so we didn't want that to happen. So um, I'm here, um, you know, on the ground, and our real number one focus is to make sure that our key constituents, which starts first with the employees, 
um, and then our members and our, then our volunteers and then our other uh, significant sponsors and donors that that they have some security that the organization hasn't been abandoned and it's not rudderless and and we're we're moving forward that the, the senior leadership team um, is executing on the, the plans that the board has endorsed for you know the last many many years and and you know my job is to keep them focused on that and keep them moving forward and uh, you know continuing to grow the organization and get ready for a 2013 air venture we'll 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 take the time appro- you know we're going to be very thoughtful about this um, as a board we will start the discussions on you know next steps uh, but right now the uh, the initial important first step is is making sure that we've got an organization that uh, understands that it's not broken, it's financially sound, and we're you know kind of calming the the transitional. You know, at, at any time you a change in leadership, it's always very disruptive, and it causes people to uh, you know question a lot of things. And so that's that's my role as the the uh, as the board chairman stepping in to help help with that. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Yeah. Jack, uh, uh, first of all, thanks uh, uh, again for coming on, on the, the uh, podcast with us this afternoon. Um, you mentioned early on that there was really no um, uh, timetable. Uh, can, you, can you be a little bit more specific on how, how little timetable there is? is? Is there any, any from 30,000 feet perhaps, any, any specific goals in mind as far as uh, uh, bringing someone new on board? Um, you know, I, I can't because... <laughs> You know the, the way this uh, it, it, it was a unfortunate set of circumstances that really uh, you know came about very abruptly and and you know we're in in day four of uh, okay Jack's there so we'll we'll at least now be able to sit down as a board right. when boards become available you know as a group and and start talking about that timetable and the reason I'm I'm not trying to be um, elusive about a timetable it's it's because we didn't, when all of this came down, we didn't say, and oh, by the way, we're going to get somebody in place right. on a given timetable. Right. And I think the fact that I was available to, you know, hold the reins um, gives us pause to, again, I, I think the board wants to be very, very thoughtful on, on we've been through some some turbulent times here with you know, the transition of Tom Durad and now another transition uh, to step back and and you know map this out very very carefully there with my availability it doesn't create a burning platform to put somebody in so there's right. not a, um, a an events based decision that needs to occur so really the the timetable will be around uh, what does it take to try to find the right person run EA that represents the values and and uh, direction that the board has already in place for EA. Something that could maybe take about nine months or so and, and maybe culminate in an announcement next July, maybe? Um, you know, I, I, I really, you guys, I, I okay. could pick a number. I mean, yeah, it, no, it, I, it, I get it. Yeah, I mean, um, I, I wish I could. If we have this conversation 30 days from now, I'll bet you'll have right. a lot more clarity. No, it, I totally understand. It's been, what, four days now since since all this hit. As the and man can, said. Yeah, I can readily understand uh, uh, how you wouldn't have a timetable involved. But And there's some events that, that we got to get through that, that mm-hmm. you know, that we got a big board meeting, our, our normal fall board meeting, our, our Hall of Fame dinner. I mean, those are about three weeks away. Right. Um, so we've got to get prepared and get through some of those things before we can kind of lift our head up out of the out of the uh, uh, low fog here. And 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 I say that literally, it is foggy here. <laughs> and uh, so, and, and, you're, and you're holding the range on figuring out what's the next step. Right. When you say you're holding the range, you're holding the range on a lot of on, on a lot of moving parts out there. Uh, yeah. So is EAA's? You you mentioned the the the, the boards kind of prescription for the direction they want to see EAA going and there's been a lot of discussion some just some debate over the direction EAA seems to be moving uh most of it not real happy uh from the feedback but then again I've never heard anybody really be able to uh enunciate what direction they think it is moving in, whether they like it or dislike it. Is that something that you could help us clarify? What does the board want to see EAA 
EAA moving toward? Well, we've we've been working for numerous years through a strategic plan that the board's had in place with EAA that um, is is all about making sure that this organization can grow appropriately to provide to the membership uh, the programs and services that that would cause them the current members and cause uh, potential new members to want to be a part of this association. I mean that's that's kind of the fundamentals. And as you know, we've built. Uh, an incredible museum headquarters, magazines, workshops, chapters that are, uh, you know, just incredible number of chapters that are thriving and then they all need care and feeding and that takes resources to do that. And then, oh, by the way, we throw this little once a year extravaganza in Oshkosh <laughs> called Air Venture that is the, uh, you know, the revenue source for all of this. And I think, um, the, the, the mission that we have as a board is to try to help um, maintain all of those programs and things that we have in place, and at the same time, try not to, through Air Venture, which is the big funding source for this, this is disfranchise any of the groups associated with it. And uh, that's a, that's always a fine line because each constituent has its own hat on. We've got home builders, we've got ultralights, we've got LSAs, we've got the Warbirds, we've got Vintage, and we've got IAC that are all part of EA, um, and they all have their specific wants and needs, and we've got to take care of that. And um, it, it's a, it's a, and then we have an incredible staff of volunteers that pull things off, and, um, you know, it's a lot of moving parts and a lot of uh, people with, with rightfully so personal interest around their group that they belong to, and we've got to balance that. And the board, um, you know, has been very, very, you know, sensitive to, you know, you, you got to grow and move forward, and also you got to keep everybody in those individual groups uh, satisfied. It's a, it's a, These are obviously qualities that you're going to be looking for in, in the successful candidate for EAA's president. Um, Jack, is this something you would consider taking? <laughs> uh, uh, Right now, day four is hoping that I can get a full night's sleep so that I can make it through day five. <laughs> yeah. It sounds like you've walked into a washing machine in a lot of ways. Uh, not on the spin cycle, on the on the agitation yeah. cycle. Yeah. So, uh, Jack, really appreciate your time uh, today, and in particular, you. Uh, I, I know you were kind of enjoying the the, the retirement world of doing a little consulting and a little traveling and. And uh, the, the the reduced pressures that uh, that involve compared to what you've been doing, and now that you're back at that same level again, thanks for doing it. Well, thank yeah, you. I, absolutely, and, absolutely, Jack. And is there anything else we haven't asked you about that uh, you want to talk about? Tell us about. Well, I, I think everybody also needs to know that the uh, uh, while there's well, there's leadership change, the the organization still healthy, vibrant, and I you know day four I have. Never seen as many passionate people that work at EA that are so dedicated to uh, what this association does because it it represents, I think, what's the best of of aviation. I mean, it's not a uh, it's not a pilot organization. It's not a manufacturer's organization. It's not a business jet organization. It's it's really what the whole of aviation is all about, and that's exciting. I mean, it it it. Uh, it's really important, really, really important. That's great. Well, thank you, Jack. I, I know you're pretty busy and got a bunch of other things on your plate this afternoon, so we'll let you go. But uh, thank you very much. This is our, we're talking to Jack Pelton, the new chairman of the board of EAA. Thanks a lot. We here at the Uncontrolled Airspace podcast are very grateful for the financial support we receive from our listeners. For information on how you can make a donation to this podcast, see the Uncontrolled Airspace homepage and the box in the right-hand column labeled Tip Jar. It doesn't need to be very much. Just 10 or $15 over the span of a year is a big help. Thank you. Well, that was very cool. We thank uh, yeah. Jack Pelton for taking a few minutes. Uh, he truly is. You know, we, we've had leaders of EAA and AOPA and others on the podcast, maybe not AOPA, but uh, other big organizations, alphabet organizations on the podcast before, and they're always very busy people. Um, but uh, uh, Jack Pelton is in quite a bit of demand right now, so it was great of, of him to take a few minutes. You guys have any reaction to uh, the things he said? Well, you know, it pretty much made sense. I mean, the... Uh, 
the the thing that kind of came through between the lines to me was uh, the way he portrayed the uh, suddenness of these changes in uh, without laying in any kind of uh, uh, judgment on on Rod Hightower's departure, uh, it, just leaving it at well the. Uh, the time had come. The comment about his uh, agreement requiring him to set up residence up there, uh, that comes the closest to uh, confirming the the belief that a lot of people have that uh, this was less Rod deciding it was time to go back home for good and more being encouraged to accept that it was time to go back home for good. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. Jeb? No, uh, I wouldn't disagree with that at all. Um, I think Jack was very, uh, very forthcoming uh, on on uh, some of the things that went on, as well as uh, what the board is uh, trying to do right now. Yeah, uh, and uh, you know, it's one of those situations where I think we all wish them Godspeed. Um, as as he correctly points out, <clears throat> they do have a few things on their plate. They do. They do. Well, if you if you think about, and Jack made a good point of this, uh, transitions can be kind of disruptive and 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 kind of up make make the place feel like it's you know under siege or experiencing a great upheaval. Now it can also be the opposite. I mean, I think AOPA saw just the opposite when Baker. Well, Baker's <laughs> boy, Freudian. Baker decided to retire, and they had time to find a replacement and found Phil Boyer. And when Phil, years later, decided that it was time for him to retire, and they had time to search for and pick a replacement, uh, that those were transitions that probably were a lot less disruptive uh, and uh, everybody was more on board with than what we've just seen happen this week at EAA. Yeah. Uh, so... Uh, they're going to be busy. Yep. Yes, indeed. Yeah, and and so. it also, I almost forgot this. They've kind of been in a perpetual search mode for most of the last five years. Yeah. Uh, first, there was a search that resulted in a split decision uh, affirming the uh, majority of the board members wanted to hire Pete Bunce, who then, as he is now, was head of uh, the General Aviation Manufacturers Association. And Pete, being the smart guy that he was, decided that uh, this not being a unanimous, uh, uh, not getting unanimous support from the board was not a smart way to start a new job and took himself out of contention uh, just a day before they were going to make the announcement. And then it went back into search mode a few more months later, and that's the search that brought us to uh, uh, Rod Hightower. Uh, and then there was the unexpected departure last July of that, uh, 2011 on the opening day of AirVenture of, uh, you know, a uh, lifetime leader, basically, at EAA, Tom Poveresny. Well, that kind of brings up a, an interesting question. Mm-hmm. Uh, would would Tom come back in some capacity? It's an interesting idea. I, uh, I I would I would love to think that this would certainly open up an opportunity for him to play a role, which he has not in some time. Right. Um, but uh, I I always got the feeling that Tom was ready to step back. And I, I got that also. I got that. You know, also. I, I don't think not he. Sure, it was his stepping back was. Um, I'm not sure he got to choose the timing. Yeah, that's true, and I and I don't think he he wanted to step back as much as he'd ended up stepping back. But uh, so, uh, anyways, we got the feeling that that was had been the long term plan for him to just announce he was leaving on yeah. opening day. Yeah, no, and I, leave and never come back on the showgrounds. I mean, somebody with a lifetime affiliation at that level of leadership, uh, you know, they usually get something of a farewell tour. And, you know, a week full of uh, saying farewells may have not have been what Tom was up for at the time. I've always been, you know, uh, kind of wondered about that whole scenario, although yeah. 
Yeah. We have our own ideas. Yeah. So, anyways, we wish them all well in Oshkosh. And yep. It'll be interesting to see how it all plays out. Hey, we've got a couple more things on the list before we wrap up here because I know we've got a, we can't go on too long here, but uh, um, uh, just a couple. A yeah, there's a list. Uh, so, uh, quite some time ago, we talked about a story where they thought that maybe they discovered a whole bunch of Spitfires, like 30 plus Spitfires, in what they thought could conceivably be pristine condition buried underground uh, in uh, oops where um, um burma all right whatever burma is called these days i apologize for not knowing that i believe that'd be myanmar but... Mi- myanmar yeah um and uh and so there was a big question of what was going to happen and was anybody going to get uh, you know permission to try and ex- excavate excavate them um and uh, it's in the news now that uh um british a british uh, uh aviation enthusiast by the name of david Tuz- Wait a minute, David, I'm sorry. Hey, wait a minute. I'm looking at this story in AvWeb. Um, is the gentleman's name David Kundal Tuesday, or is it David Kundal who Tuesday signed an agreement? Hang on here. <laughs> Apparently, Kundal is his last name. All right, David Kundal. Uh, I apologize if I'm pronouncing that badly. Yeah, since Tuesday only shows up once. Yeah. Um, he signed an agreement with the Burma, with, well, this story says with Burma's government, um, to unearth a cache of okay, what. Okay, that's two strikes in the first sentence. I know. Is there huh? a third? <laughs> um, anyways, he's apparently gotten permission. Um, from the local government to go in and dig these things up. And uh, that's, that's, this is very promising. I, this would be, can you imagine if we found, you know, two dozen working Spitfires that suddenly came into the, uh, into the airspace? Estimate there may be at least 60 Spits. Yeah. All of the rare Mark 14 model. Right. You mean airworthy now? That's, that's how many they think are are in storage. Yeah. Yeah. Some of these are, um, uh, in you know, in the original oh. shipping crates. I'm sorry, I've got it backwards, David. Thank you for correcting me. Um, there are 30, according to this story, there are roughly 35 currently airworthy. They think there could be 60 in the ground in right. Burma, Myanmar. Right. Um, so, uh, um, but wouldn't that be cool, huh? Wouldn't that be cool? Yeah. Uh, I, uh, I, Is it? I, 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 it's, it's a family podcast. I can't tell you what the thought does to me. Uh, but it's a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a good thing, David, right? Yeah. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. So what's the likelihood that these things are in decent condition? Do you think, is it possible that they were prepped in such a way that they're okay? I th- again, I think some of these were in their shipping crates. Yeah. Okay, brand new. So with preservative and, and packing materials and, and all that kind of thing. Um, depending on how the wood in the crate, or the comprising the crate, has held up. Um, they could be great. Uh, others, I think, were actually having were actually in service, and were disassembled, and somehow uh, packed or, or or buried, or maybe they were just buried in, you know, in direct contact with soil. Those would obviously be in the in the worst condition. Um, Myanmar is a tropical uh, climate, if I'm not mistaken, but buried underground. Who knows? Yeah. Well, it's kind of it's got a climate almost identical to Burma's. Uh, <laughs> smart Alec. Okay. The yeah. uh, ones that were never decrated, if you will, uh, have a have a really high probability of being in outstanding shape because they were prepped for ocean voyage. Right. right. Okay. Water, salt water, spray. Uh, getting wet, getting dry, getting wet, getting dry on the way over, uh, humid conditions, uh, when they were going to be over there. Uh, so I'm, even if only 30% of them turn out to be airworthy, that's still another 20 spits that we didn't yeah, have before. That's, and that's, that's, you know, short of, of mosquitoes or, or, um, oh, uh, P38s or, or something like that. This is pretty much the holy grail. Anybody got a bib? Yeah, Spitfires. Yeah. yeah, yeah, really. I mean, come on. Yeah, so uh, makes me drool. Yeah, pretty cool. Pretty cool stuff. Oh, the idea of somebody finding some mosquitoes like that. Ah, yeah. Well, you never know. They could be out there, man. That's just you know. It's well, like, what we need is a good carpenter and, and a and a plywood steamer and blueprints and some nails. Yeah, a couple, of dead, couple of dead horses. You know. <laughs> so I'm looking at this story about Pearson Field Airport uh, near Vancouver, Washington. It's actually 
uh, yeah, near Vancouver, Washington. And uh, um, so they get themselves kind of tangled up. I kept trying to figure out this story, whether or not this is an FAA kind of foolishness or whether this is Homeland Security foolishness. Apparently, they, um, the FAA suddenly announced that they were going to put a big box of restricted airspace either near or right over Pearson Field. Um, a type of I've never heard of this kind of a restriction. Apparently, the the airspace, the box was only going to be allowed to have one. Air, it, and by the way, Pearson Field is an uncontrolled, non-tower airport. Um, yet Pearson Field was only going to be allowed under these new rules to have one airplane at a time in this box, and they were going to have to call for clearance before taking off and or call before entering the uh, the class delta airspace. And how close are they to Portland International? Uh, I gave you a link there that'll click you. Into the uh, I saw that section. They're very close. I didn't actually see a distance. According about three miles. Yeah. Well, according to the story, women, it says that here someplace. Let's see now. I want to say six miles, but you know, close. Pretty close. Uh, I'm sorry, David. You can't like read the uh, the uh, the indications on the sectional. I thought. (laughs) Well, uh, the. uh, I'm sorry. Indications on the on on the reproduction of the sectional on these pages. Uh, I'm not real sure of the scale here. So, well, no, you got the little vertical tick marks are usually one mile each, and so oh, Jeb looks. If that's true, that it is closer to three miles than six miles. Um, so it's it's three, three point one. Thank you. Yes, there we go. So. Uh, they apparently uh, FAA or whoever uh, announced this this box um, like the day before they were going. According to this story, the day before they were going to put it into effect, and uh, and as you might imagine, there was a bit of an uproar, and they and the FAA decided to delay enacting it, but not for very long. Well, and- why are they smoking? I know it's it. I don't understand. So so this airport is admittedly. It's very nearly on the extended center line of uh, of uh, the big airport. Yeah, but and it, but it, you know, this didn't just pop up yesterday. Okay? Yeah, I know. Right. This airport wasn't just just sprouting with the morning dew. Uh, it's been there a while. Just yeah. Portland's been there a while. They figured out some time ago how to do this, right? Right. So not only is it up. yeah, not only did it not just pop up, there is in fact a cutout in the uh, right. In the uh, in the floor of the Bravo, yeah, right. In the uh, or is this what is this? This is not this Bravo, is Washington. This is Delta. It's a Delta. It's, no, 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 no. The, this for, has got to be Charlie. It's this not is just a Delta. Por- this is Portland. Uh, uh, Charlie. I guess it's, it is just Delta. No, no, no. It says here it's a port- Portland's a class Charlie. So it's uh, is a the, the class Charlie is centered on Portland International Airport PDX. Okay. All right, and then is there are um, the inner. Pearson so, is in Class D. Portland is in Class C. Yeah, something like. But, wow! Stop but, my beating heart. But it's one of these oh. deals where there's a Class Delta nestled into a cutout of the Class Charlie. Jiminy, take a look at the section for Wichita. It, uh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but, yeah. Exactly. This works. I mean, you see this kind of thing down in the San Francisco Bay Area as well. You know. Um, so I don't quite understand it here. Um, it's kind of weird, but uh, seventy-one kilo. Yeah. Uh, to ICT, it's less than three point one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not kind of. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we got a uh, we've got a uh, pattern uh, at Dead Cow that's lower than. And right parallel to pattern for mid-continent. And I know they tend to run on opposites when it's uh, an, an east side pattern. Dead cows is uh, east side pattern over at uh, uh, mid-continent. Dead cows pattern is, is also east. When it's a west side pattern at uh, mid-continent, uh, when they're predominantly used in the west of one the, the two parallels, uh, it's still an east side pattern at Dead Cow. Uh, only issue then is that the uh, east side runway at Midcontinent can occasionally have traffic going the opposite direction, but it's supposed to be higher and farther west. So yeah. I've never seen a conflict happen. 
Yeah, I mean... And Dead Cow is really close. Yeah, and getting back to this Pearson-Portland uh, thing, like Jeb says, it's been around, been there for a while. You've got to figure they've got procedures um, that that have been working. So what what spooked them suddenly? Was there an incident, I wonder? Uh, it's it's pretty weird. And uh, Well, we, we, we don't have to get clearance to depart Dead Cow. We just contact uh, Mid-Continent Tower and tell them that we're going to be leaving and which way we want to go. And they usually give us a squawk. And then we leave. Yeah. And yeah. tell them when we're off the ground. Then we take the handoff to the uh, departure and uh, departure controller, and you know, wham, bam, thank you, man. You're out of there, hair in three minutes. Yeah. I'm looking at this Portland class Charlie airspace. It's kind of weird. Have you have you guys got it on your screen? So yeah. We, we were talking about the uh, the sort of cutout for Pearson, which is sort of roughly a pie shaped uh, pie piece shaped cutout um, that goes up to 1,100 feet. And I was just looking at the uh, ADF ADF AD airport. The, the, blue, the green book, right? Um, and it says that traffic paltron altitude is a thousand there. So you can hear at a hundred feet below the the class Charlie when you're in the pattern at Pearson. But that works. That's fine. Um, but over sort of at the uh, other, you know, sort of ninety degrees off on the on the uh, on the Portland um, airspace, sort of at one o'clock, two o'clock, um, is this circular cutout. That has nothing in it. What is that all about? Yeah, I, I see what you're talking about. I don't know. Um, you know I wonder if there's a private strip there that's just not charted. Well, well there's a private strip in that uh, between the inner and outer circle over on the northeast side. Uh, I'm wondering if they do water operations off the lake right there. Yeah, that's that's one question, or um, and if they've got some cut out there for that. I wonder also if there's not an approach to um, uh, Grove One Whiskey One there that uh, they've they've carved the cutout for. I'm Maybe, but that's a long ways off. That's you know, yeah. that's like almost ten miles. It looks like to me. You know. Oh no, I'm sorry. Oh no, you know, it's more like five miles. But okay, yeah. Um, anyways, interesting airspace. Um, and the little Pearson box is eleven hundred to four thousand. Yeah. Well, above that, the class Charlie is eleven hundred to four thousand. It's below eleven hundred is, and and the and the class Delta is usually class Delta is a circular, but this class Delta, if you look closely, there's a dot, there's a dashed blue line underneath the purple of the class Charlie, and it appears to me that 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 funny shape is is the Pearson Delta. You see what I'm saying? Not just looking at the circle around the VORs. Nope, I'm definitely not looking Wait, at the... Say that again, Jack. So I'm zoomed. I'm looking at the... Uh, we're looking at the vfrmap.com uh, right. sectional. I'm right. zoomed all the way in as far as it will let me, all right? And we've got this pie piece-shaped cutout um, that that is what Pearson is in, all right? right? If you look sort of underneath the purple line that denotes the cutout, there's a blue dashed line that doesn't exist on the rest of the circle. Are you not seeing it? Yeah, I'm seeing it. I'm seeing... Um, that's the outline of the pie shape thing that you're talking exactly about. Exactly right. right. And what I'm yeah, saying is... The, the magenta airspace description, I see all that. I see the, the kind of the keyhole cut out there about 2.30. I yeah. see that. Okay, but now now I'm back. I'm back over at the northwest uh, uh, corner of the of the uh, the class Charlie. Uh, yeah, that's uh, what we're looking at. All right, yeah. the pie shaped piece, uh, at least on the image I'm looking at, and maybe you guys are seeing a different different iteration of the of the image, but it's showing a uh, just under the pie shape. All right, so it's got the outer circle and then the two arms. So I see. You, you, there's a there's a yeah. That's delta airspace. That's right. That's what I'm saying. And I'm just I'm just noting that that's an interesting shape for a class delta. Uh, yeah. The ones I've seen are, are, are usually, well, as a matter of fact, look at the one off to the right um, yeah. that encloses, uh, what's it so called? So what's the elevation at Pearson? Uh, 25. 25 feet. 25, 25 feet. feet. Yeah, I mean, that's the Columbia so River. That's fly pattern altitude. Just barely. 25 feet. Yeah, just barely. they got 75 feet above you. Just, and is, you can have as many as you want in there below well, 1,100. Now, but if they put this box into effect, No. The box will go to the surface? Apparently the box, what did the story say? The box talked about this, uh, I mean the story talked about this. Um, 
Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I'm sorry. Oh, wait a minute. I'm still looking at the Spitfire story. Where is it? The Pearson story. Here we go. Uh, box begins at the surface and surface extends and up to 2,100 feet. feet. What pencil necks? Yeah. Really? Interesting thing. Anyways. You know, leave them the hell alone. Leave them, leave them there 1,100. They're, they're 1,075 feet. Yeah. And, uh, you know, go back and pay attention to the traffic at Portland. Uh, you know, Portland, the last I checked is they're, they're being generous to say it's got enough traffic to be a Charlie. Uh, well, it's got enough traffic to be a Charlie. It's got enough weight to be a Charlie. But, uh, you know, this is not mid-continent's a Charlie. Mid-continent's a Charlie. Yeah. And with two airplane manufacturers on the field and two others in the area using their navigation uh, equipment, uh, their ILSs and back course uh, for production test flight, uh, I would wager ICT is way ahead on traffic count and doesn't seem to have a problem handling dead cow, you know, what, two and a half miles away? Yeah. Right. So... Anyways, interesting story. We should uh, figure out what the latest is on it, and maybe we'll talk about it next time. Either that or there's something going on here that they haven't, you know, like there's some double secret probation fact here. Yeah, yeah. Um, I have a shout-out. Maybe they just want to, you know, go spend more time with their family. Yeah, right. Um, (laughs) I have a a shout-out here, but before we get to shout-outs, any of these other stories you want to talk about tonight, or we move on here? Read Callback, issue yeah. 393 from October. If you're flying with an autopilot, you should read that. You don't want George to go howl on you. Mm-hmm. That's all I'll say. Th- this sound, didn't, didn't Jeb tell us that you wrote a story for him uh, along these lines recently? What, did, what am I thinking of here? You, uh, some- it, it wasn't about autopilot malfunctions. It was just about, you know, turn the damn thing off. Yeah. And, and fly with your hands for a while. Oh, okay. So, yeah, under the proper... Yeah, flying without George. Under the proper circumstances, you might be better off flying without the autopilot on. Well, in some cases, you actually are better off. The, 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 the condition of the air can be such that it's going to create less of a load on the airframe to not have it trying to react to every little bump in the air. And having your more sluggish, dampened reaction time uh, try to do the same thing and take it easier on the airframe. The other thing is when the autopilot fails and you're stuck with flying it by hand, it's really nice to know that you can actually fly by hand. And guys that I know who put the wheels in the well and then hit the button and they don't touch the yoke again until, you know, they've, uh, you know, they've come through the inner marker. Uh, yeah, that's, that's all fun and nice and it's great to have. But it doesn't really give you what I would call qualifying instrument time or qualifying hand flying time because you're not. And then when you need it, uh, it's not too hard to be so behind the curve that it winds up being a stiffer penalty for not being able to fly without the autopilot than it would have been work to fly with the autopilot. Yeah. Okay. Shoutouts. What do you got? Anybody got any shoutouts? No, no, not, not, nothing for me. David, what do you got? Well, this is a shout out to uh, our friends at uh, Sun and Fun Radio at, uh, at, uh, at at Sun and Fun Inc. in Lakeland, Florida, who are uh, working with Flightline Radio to stream Flightline's coverage of the Sebring LSA show in January out over the Sun and Fun uh, Radio uh, uh live internet stream so one more way to get it uh, it's a joint venture i know that the two sides have been working on for quite a while uh hats off to the flight line radio folks and our old buddy dave Shawbetter and uh, lights lean out for uh pulling this through on that note that was dave higdon dave's an aviation photographer and aviation journalist and the u.s editor for london's world aircraft aircraft sales magazine easy for easy me. for you to say yeah right what are you working on david what's fun uh, well, I'm working on putting another jet in my logbook uh, down at NBAA next week, and for a story that I'll be able to talk about 
uh, in a couple of weeks. Cool. Uh, going in the December issue of a magazine that I work with. Mm-hmm. But we're going to give them a little pilot report about an airplane that's been remanufactured and converted and given new engines and new flight deck and just a whole lot of operational changes, including can, taking it to single pilot. Can, so, you t- can you tell us what publication it will be for? World Aircraft Sales. Okay. All right. And uh, other than that, where can people find you in general on the Internet? Uh, oh, well, right now, avbuyer.com, aea.net, aviationsafetymagazine.com, I might venture. And uh, soon to be a, a couple of three other websites. So. Mm-hmm. Okay. And that other voice is Jeb Burnside. Jeb, is your, your internet back yet? You realize we're just about done, which means your internet is going to come back. It is back, yeah, absolutely. Oh, it is back. <laughs> yeah. Okay, see? Well, there you go. Uh, Jeb is a uh, freelance aviation writer and editor, serving as the editor-in-chief of Aviation Safety Magazine. What you been working on? Uh, getting uh, nothing to do with work, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, getting geared up for uh, the next issue of Safety, however. Got some interesting stuff coming down the pike, um, and uh, should be a good issue. Yeah. And on the internet, you are at... Uh, uh, Burns. No, not no, no, uh, yeah. Trick, trick question. Sorry. Dot com. Uh-huh. Aviation Safety Magazine. Dot com. Uh, AEA. Dot net. And uh, it's been a while, but uh, you might find me on AvWeb. Dot com. Mm-hmm. Big big thanks to uh, the uh, new chairman of the board of EAA, Jack Pelton, for taking a few minutes to talk with us. It was very generous of him and uh, some good information there about uh, where they're going and what they're trying to accomplish here. So thanks to Jack and, of course, thanks to our buddy Dick Nipinski for helping us make that happen. And I'm Jack Hodgson. I'm a private pilot, a freelance writer, and a new media producer. Uh, please check out my latest Kindle ebook, Around the Field, Volume 1, the stories about the people, places, and planes of the Oshkosh Flying. Uh, and uh, you can uh, read this on your Kindle device, or if you don't have a Kindle device, you can use the Kindle Reader software on your iPad or laptop or desktop computer. Um, you can learn more about all of my Kindle ebooks at Amazon.com slash author slash Jack Hodgson. And in general, learn more about me at jackhodgson.com and a real man i just i was doing so well too and now suddenly i can't talk anymore aroundthefield.net try and say this uh, more properly because it's very important thanks to uh, jeff ward for all of his help with the show notes and in the forums Uh, please take a minute to uh, check out echo the general aviation online media channel that is at uncontrolledairspace.com slash echo lots of uh, great old clips from old episodes of uncontrolled airspace there and don't forget to check out the rest of the ucap website you can chat with us directly and with many of your fellow listeners uh, in the uncontrolled airspace forums Uh, you can also see who's doing what on the new ratings webpage of fame and much much more all of that is at uncontrolledairspace.com david were you going to say something yeah best way to enjoy a long and fruitful life is to go out and fly things because got to remember time spent flying is not subtracted from your flight uh, from your lifespan <laughs> and that's enough talking let's keep let uh, see none of us can talk tonight all right uh, and that's enough talking let's go flying Yeah, I think we all need to go flying because I think some of us are getting old. Yeah, really. (laughs) 